You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. On this week's episode, we're bringing back Shane Simpson. We talked turkey hunting the last time he was on, but Shane also just recently bought a tracking dog and trained it to find wounded deer. In fact, much of his season last fall was spent tracking deer from other hunters and taking notes during the process. Yeah, so I wanted to, to bring you on today because the thing you got going with Callie right now and starting to track so many different deer. I mean, how many deer did you blood trail last fall? I went on 80, 30, yeah, I went on 38. I was about to say 80. I went, <laughs> I went on 38 tracks last year. I probably could have done 80 if I wasn't working on the weekends. That's usually when I got most of my calls, but I went on 38 tracks. Um, we successfully recovered 19 deer. Now, when you're doing success rates, they don't count the ones unless you put them on the tailgate, the ones you, you know, actually find. But we did, I did get confirmation, I think seven other deer by trail camera. You could see like the injury or whatever they confirmed. So or they're still see, alive? Uh, yeah, see the antlers like a week, two weeks later, one was like a month later. You know, they'd see the, the buck and recognize his antlers. They'd send me a picture or whatever and say, yep. And then one guy sent me a picture of a doe he shot. He thought he hit it good, but when he got a trail cam picture of it, um, a week or two later, you could see the wound in its shoulder um, like a f- superficial wound it wasn't it was back eating in the corn um, so there was like seven of them they that were um, later confirmed still alive after the fact so there was no way for Callie to find it anyway because the deer was still roaming out right. through the woods but um you know excluding that she found 19 of 38 so that's what 50 percent which it's really good, especially for a first year. The, the national average for tracking dogs is about 30, <clears throat> 30, 33%. And um, a lot of that has to do with what they're going into. You know, did the, the folks that called you out there, did they grid search it with 50 of their buddies and ruin the trail or whatever? So that kind of hurts a little bit. Or if, if is the deer still alive out there, the dog's never going to find it. But um, yeah, so she did really good her first year. I'm proud of her. How old is she and what kind of dog? She's a blue tick coonhound. Um, she's going to be two years old, I think, in September. Yeah. So and last. Did you, did you choose that breed for blood trailing or did it just so happen that you got the dog and then you decided later that you wanted no, to teach her at a. No, blood I trail? intentionally got her for blood trailing or, or deer tracking. They say blood trailing, but the deer, the dog is tracking, depending on how you train it, it's tracking a individual scent of a deer and uses blood sometimes to help it along and make sure it's on the right deer. But um, <clears throat> I was looking for any dog that would be suitable for tracking deer and I didn't want to spend a fortune. Now, most or a lot of the trackers especially in the Northeast, they use um, wire-haired Dotsons. Um, it's big in Europe. They're little teeny dogs, they're a little slower, so it's easy on a tracker and it won't pull you through the woods and everything. 
but mm-hmm. my my issue was that with that was we have a lot of water marsh and swamps in in Wisconsin and right. hopefully when they legalize in Minnesota I'll be tracking here and um, so I asked some of the veteran trackers uh, before I picked my dog out I said uh, what do you do when you come across water you know two foot deep or whatever marsh and what they have to do is pick their dog up and take it to the other side and 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 walk the edge and hopefully the dog picks it up again I'm like well I don't like that idea so I wanted to <laughs> Yeah, I wanted a dog, because if they're going through a cattail marsh, the deer's going to be brushing against the cattails, and I want to know exactly where it went. I don't want to guess. And so I wanted a dog with with longer legs, a taller dog, to make it through that stuff. Um, So I just started looking online, Craigslist and whatever, see who had some, you know, some type of hounds. Beagles, beagles are still a little short. Uh, Found a... um, can't remember the name of the dog type of dog it was a red red bone or something type, type of hound um, that fell through and then I, I saw the guy had some blue tick coon hounds he uses for bear hunting and I guess he had uh, several of his dogs had litters all at the same time and he had too many of them and he couldn't get rid of them quick enough you know it, it cost him an arm and a leg to keep them up and no one was buying them so he was selling them really cheap so I went and scooped one up and um, I was actually trying to get a male dog, but I let um, let my daughter pick the dog out, and and he he said he brought all males with him when we met, <laughs> and his he had his daughter round him up and put him in the truck, and then we met at like a Walmart parking lot, and uh, <laughs> it sounds sketchy, look like like a, a deal going down, but uh, anyway, I. I, I didn't care which one we got. I said, Brooke, just pick one out. And so she picked one out and, and we got home and, and I was playing with it and I just happened to look under it and I was like, this is not a boy dog. And so <laughs> she'd already got attached to it at that point and wanted to keep it. But I called the guy and let him know. And he's like, oh, my daughter must have grabbed one of the females by accident. But uh, so we just stuck with her and she's turned out to be a good dog. And I don't guess it matters if it's a male or a female. The only thing, you know, if she comes in heat tw- twice a year, though. Yeah, so I've got a, yeah. a dachshund. I've got a long-haired dachshund that I've trained um, for it because I'm red-green colorblind, so it's difficult for me to track. Um, and you pointed out the downfall of the dachshund is being that low to the ground. Obstacles come a lot more in play, like fallen trees. Um, you know, if you're in an area where there was like a tornado, um, you know, the benefit is in thick briars and stuff. A lot of times they can go under it. But water, uh, water can really slow them down because, like you said, you either got to carry them or you teach them to swim. Um, my dog will swim yeah. it, um, and once he gets to yeah. the other side, then he'll basically go one way. If he doesn't hit it in like 30 yards, he'll turn around and go the other way, and then he'll just keep fanning that out until he finds it again. Yeah, some of those dogs are really smart. They know once they 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 figure it out. They know how to uh, you know kind of solve the puzzle okay where something went and it's amazing when you hear some of the stories um how the dog works through a scent trail and and figures out a deer backtracked or did whatever but um touching on that about the trees and all the brush and stuff that's really not hard on a a a smaller breed dog that's harder on the tracker because you especially in a state like wisconsin where you have to have them on leash the entire time yep and that leash gets woven all through that brush (laughs) and uh a lot of trackers, you know, they, uh, do you, do you actually track deer? Is that what yeah. you said your dog? Okay. Well then you know, do, where are you located? Do you have to track on leash or off leash? 
when I was in Virginia, we had to track on leash. Um, okay. So we, I just ran a fifty-four, a fifty-foot lead on him, um, and then like if he went under something, I just dropped the lead and pick it up on the other side. Yeah, that's what I was saying about to say. They a lot of times they'll hold the end so they're actually still holding onto it, and then reach up and grab a head of the log or a tree, and and then let the end go and let it snake through the brush. Yep. So that way they're still legal, I guess technically. Yeah, so what are some, you know, my, from my experience doing it, you know, what little I've done helping other guys do it, um, you mentioned, you know, kind of guys grid searching. Do you have any recommendations for people out there who may be looking to find a tracking dog in their area? You know, my suggestion is, you know, right now, find a tracker um, in your area. You know, go ahead and contact them and kind of get with that person and see what kind of requests they have on when they want you to call, how much they want you to look for it before you call. Um, because I know a lot of times when you get into this situation, you show up to somebody's property to help look for a dog. And like you said, they've been grid searching for, you know, 30 hours where there's, you know, 40 guys out there looking for this deer. Um, so it kind of makes it difficult on, you know, the dog's recovery on what he can smell and how his recovery is going to go based off what they've done in the woods so do you have any yeah, advice exactly. for people out there um yeah you well, you touched on one uh, i would co contact as many of your local trackers you know uh, trackers um find out who is in the area because you may call one when you need them and they're not available either they're working because you know most of them uh, do have full-time jobs some of them do it for our living um but they may not be available because they're tracking or have two or three other tracks already planned, especially during the rut, it gets really busy. So have several in your area already uh, that you've contacted, or you don't have to necessarily contact them, it's a good idea. And like you said, uh, throw out some questions to them what they should do once they shoot a deer, uh, what they should do after the shot. Um, before I get into all that, a, a good place to get some information is like i'm a member of the united blood trackers um, ubt and uh, they have a facebook page and you can go on there and ask questions and and they're they'll welcome uh, they'll welcome the questions and answer them with no problem but the first thing i'm gonna do if i think i need a dog after the shot hopefully i've already got me some trackers in mind and um i'm gonna mark the spot where the shot the animal was standing when i shot it the deer or whatever you're tracking and mark it clearly don't throw a camouflage hat down on the ground because i have i've had people do that mark the last blood or mark the spot where the deer was standing with a camouflage glove or a camouflage hat and then you come back in there in the dark and you can't find it uh, mark it with some tissue or some flagging or something and especially if you're blood tracking a deer and you lose the trail the last thing you want to do is call your buddies and start grid searching um, now, a lot of times people put importance on how uh, of the deer they shot. If it's a doe, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but some people say, well, it's just a doe. I'm going to get my buddies. I'm not going to spend the money on a tracker. Right. There are trackers that don't charge anything, that love to do it for free because that's, it's like deer hunting for them. You know, some people love to deer hunt. I love to deer hunt. Some people love to track and they don't charge anything. Now, they'll take tips, I guess. Some, some of them say they actually won't, won't accept tips. And then there are guys that do it for some money and so they're going to charge you $100 to come out and then maybe another $100 recovery fee once they find it. 
So it varies greatly. So that's why you got to contact your trackers ahead of time. You know, get some information from them, how much they charge, where they're located, you know, all that good stuff. And they'll tell you, you know, what to do after the shot. And number one thing is mark your tra trail well. And the reason for that, and you probably know just as well as I do, when you bring a dog to a track, I don't know where this deer ran. And it's a very big confidence booster. If I can start where you shot the deer and you tracked it for 100 yards before you lost blood and there's tissues or flagging marking the whole trail, I can see that my dog is on the correct deer and, and following it to a T. Once it gets the last blood, then I, I know that she's probably gonna stay on that deer. Yeah, because, exactly. Because, yeah. Uh, Callie has a, she, she's trained to follow a specific scent. I can take a turkey wing and drag it through the brush. And when I put her on the spot where I started dragging it, I say, find it. She follows that particular scent. Um, when I went on a track once, that it was a guy who was hunting on a bait pile. And there's no telling how many deer came through there. So she's got to work out which deer am I talking about. So I point at the ground and I say, find it. She takes me on a trail and then she starts barking. And we go a while and don't see any blood. So I stop her. I bring her back. Bring her back. I start her again and I say, find it. She picks a different deer and she goes a different route. That's not the right route. On the third time I said, find it. She took a third different route. She's picking, you know, each deer. And she's like, okay, I, I basically told her it wasn't the right deer. The third one, we found blood a couple hundred yards into the track and I knew we were finally on the right one. And each one went off in a totally different de direction. We found the, the deer about 600 yards later. So um, that's kind of the things you have to deal with and remember when you, when you got a tracker coming in. And especially like when you're training them, uh, you know, if you did a drag or if you did something like that, a lot of people will tend to want to correct their dog and bring it back to the path that they know they put that drag on versus yep. letting letting that dog either try to figure it out on its own or you know eventually picking it up taking it back to the start and letting it work through it again um, i think a lot yep. of people try to correct the dog because they know where that drag went so they know where that dog should be so during the training process yeah, you need to kind of figure out whether you want to let the dog try to work it out on its own or reset it exactly you gotta you gotta uh, pretend that you don't know where you laid that track and I do that with Callie when she gets off track and we and I let her roam a hundred yards or more and we're 90 degrees from way, where the track was laid and I just let her roam and see if she finally circles around sometimes she she circles makes a huge loop and eventually comes back to it and 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 goes again she's out there just searching because she doesn't know which way it went but then there's times that you know she just gets way off and i have to restart her and, and i'll say this she did so good training last year um it was our first you know it was the first year of training and then the first year of tracking so she did so well on training almost every training track she nailed it and then when we got to tracking in the fall she did great but this summer i've taken on numerous tracks and she struggled on about half of them and and I was worried. I was like, what, did she forget what she was doing? Because I didn't, she hasn't tracked or had a training track since November. I, you know, it was winter time and then I was turkey hunting in the spring. So I was on the road all the time and it had me really worried. And so I started talking to the veteran trackers and they said, um, not to worry because a lot of dogs figure out that 
these aren't real tracks. They figure out that it's a training track and they just really not, not interested in training. But when they get on the real deal, they just click right back into it. They know they're going for a real deer when they, they can smell it. You know, they can tell whether you laid the track or it's a deer track they're tracking. So I'm hoping that's what's gonna happen with Callie this, this summer, She's, I mean this fall. Yeah, typically when you lay a track, you know, a lot of times your scent's gonna be relatively close to the track depending on how you do it. Yep. Um, so they can yep. kind of pick up on that versus, you know, if you go to a new area, the dog knows it's in a new area, never been here before, it starts to pick up on that. And with my little dachshund, yeah. I, have a, I have a special vest that he wears when we go tracking. That's the only time I put the vest on him or the only time he sees the vest. And he goes crazy. He, he goes, goes crazy when you put it on. <laughs> he goes berserk when he sees that vest come out because he'll run to the door. He'll sit at the door and wait. You open the door, he'll run to the truck. He'll sit at the truck and wait. You put him in the truck and he'll just start crying and whimpering. He's ready to hunt because he knows what it means the when same, he sees that vest. Same same here. My, Callie sees me get the, the, the particular leash. I had to use a one of those prong collars on her just because she pulls a lot. When I put that prong collar on, she doesn't pull at all. And she listens very much. If I had just a leash that you walk her with, she'd pull you all over the place. But as soon as I get that leash and that prong collar, she starts jumping around and, and whining and she, she's ready to go. And as soon as I open the door, she runs straight to the back of the truck. And as soon as I lift the gate, she's in there waiting. Let's go. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I've seen her sometimes on her own. Like it's been a week since I trained her or did a training track or a deer track. She goes into the, to the kitchen, she grabs the leash and says, and brings it and wants me to take her. I'm like, we don't have anything to do. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, and another thing so you mentioned know. was a, a key word. Like, um, what do you say when you, you told her to find it? Is that what yeah, you use? Yeah, find it. Yeah, I use, yeah, hunt it, let's hunt it up. So yeah. when I set him down on a track, I'll tell him, hunt it up. And he knows, you know, okay, this is the time. This is when I need to start searching. This is when I need to start looking. Yep. And that's exactly what happens. Now, Callie, get out there. She'll start sniffing around as soon as we get to a spot. And, you know, and until she actually hears that, those two words, find it, then she really starts, you can hear her nose start clicking, and she's really working it. She's trying to follow that scent. Yeah. And, uh, it, I'd, go ahead. A lot of times you can just, when they're on a track, you can look at their body language. You've, you've probably tracked with the dog enough to know if the dog is on it hot or if it's drifted off a little bit or even if it's lost it. You know, you can just look at the dog's body language and see. And then, like you said, sometimes they may start circling and you just let them circle until you just watch that body language and then they'll pick it back up again. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I'm basically a pup when it comes to tracking myself. And I'm starting to learn those body languages and stuff. I've, you know, I, I can see her when she lifts her head up. The, the track, for instance, earlier I was talking about the 600-yard track. We found a, a, a drop of blood 200 yards or so into it, and, but we didn't see any other blood, but I knew she was on the track. And we went another few hundred yards, and the guy was, one of the guys uh, that was part of the hunting party was videoing with his little uh, camcorder and uh, Callie lifted her head up and started walking. And I said, we're getting ready to find your deer. And he's like, what? I said, we're getting ready to find your deer. She's got her head up. And uh, usually that means the deer is close by. And I, I know that. And I've seen it happen so many times that I don't, you know, I'm positive what's about to happen. Now, she's done that a couple times and we jumped the deer because the deer was bedded down. Right. But in this instance, she put her head up in the air 
and uh, we didn't go another 40, 50 yards around the little curve, and there was the buck laying there dead. And so, I, you know, things like that. And then her, like her, the position of her tail. Um, if she's lifting her head up and looking back at me constantly, she's a lot of times she's not on the track. You know, she's not on the trail. If she's looking back at me the whole time, it's like almost looking for reassurance. <laughs> and um, you know, I don't have anything to tell her, but <laughs> you know, she's got to tell me when she's on the trail. I can't smell it. But I'm I'm learning all this stuff. I'm still new myself. But uh, it's man, it's a it's crazy cool experience to to track deer. It's almost as fun, if not more enjoyable than actually deer hunting you know i love deer hunting but to track deer for other people especially when you find it and they'd already you know basically given up hope thought it was not going to happen and then you find their deer three or four hundred yards later or like in the case of that epic track i went on uh, 1.3 miles we followed that deer these folks go ballistic they they can't believe we found this deer you know and you know that's because we can't see it you know the dog can smell it i imagine right. to a dog's nose it would be like if we took um that white chalk they use for football fields and mark a trail to their noses that's how it is you know if you, if you could envision it that's the way the scent is laying across there you know if we could smell we'd be able to see it just as plain as a football stripe field stripe yeah it's really rewarding to have trained that dog take it out there to help somebody else who's you know lost their animal for what they think they've lost it basically and then you take this dog that you've trained out there and then you go out and find it it's really rewarding for both parties because you've trained this dog to do this and now it succeeded in this difficult track or you know where they've grid searched it and then this person also gets their deer so like you said it's really rewarding exactly now i tell you this it was very stressful leading up to my very first track and it may have been for you i don't know because i thought you know i didn't know if we were going to be successful or we were going to fail i, I trained as, her as best as i could i read as much as i could watch videos and i tried to do everything right and i was so nervous for that first track i knew it was about to happen somebody was going to call me and i'm like man i hope she does well i hope she does well and she just pegged it the first two tracks straight to the deer and you know the, well the, the second one was actually a gut shot and we jumped it and the next morning she went in there and picked right up where she left off and went right to the deer and you know she went on a roll there we would go three or four tracks in a row and find a deer and then we'd go one or two without finding a deer but then she'd hit another streak and so she was rolling and i and i didn't worry anymore after that and all yeah. that stress went away the first one I did for somebody else was, was, like you said, the most stressful. The first track that he did was actually the biggest buck I've shot with a bow. You know, and I just put him down on, you know, where I'd shot the deer and told him to hunt it up. And he took off and we went, I don't know, probably 60 yards and I seen a giant patch of blood. And if I could see blood, it's good blood at that point. So I knew he was on the track. So I just, <laughs> you know, let him keep going. And he found it and it yeah. was... It was a great, I mean, that was, that was probably the most rewarding. I was probably as proud as him for finding that deer as it was for me shooting that deer. Um, I was just so yeah. happy at that point. And then after, you know, three, four, five more tracks on my own, then I started, you know, I put a post up on Craigslist saying, hey, you know, anybody within like a 20-mile radius, you need a tracking dog, I'm willing to help. You know, and then by that time, I kind of yeah. had enough confidence in them that I wasn't, I wasn't as stressed going into the first one for somebody else. Yeah, and then that's kind of what I did too. Once I, well, I, I I put it out there to begin with that I'd do it for free. He just paid me twenty five dollars in fuel to get out there because 
she was untested and, and I didn't want to be charging someone, you know, 50 or 100 bucks. Plus, I wanted to keep my rates down because I knew at one point I needed a tracking dog and, and I couldn't use one. Um, I was in Minnesota, this was years ago, you can't use them here. And, and I was like, man, you know, how much are you going to pay to recover this deer? And, and I was thinking to myself, yeah, I'd probably pay 100 bucks to, to have someone come out. But there are a lot of people that, you know, might not be able to afford that. They're hunting their family farm. They don't, you know, make a whole lot of money or whatever reason. They may have a lot of bills and things are tight. And so um, I wasn't charging a whole lot for that reason also. Plus, I, I didn't want to charge a lot with an untested dog. This year, I've kind of changed my rates a little more because it did get to the point last year that, you know, these... I think some folks were just calling me as a last resort and because I only charge fuel money to get out there, it's like, oh, let's just call them anyway, even though they probably truly knew that the deer was uh, not a lethal hit. Right. And I would spend three hours out there tracking a, a deer that, you know, I can't find any more blood. This, you know, the, they described the shot. And then they, you know, they give me $25 and I drove, you know, two hours to get to them. <laughs> And I'm like, okay, this year I'm gonna charge a little more for fuel. I'm gonna charge like 40 bucks for fuel. And um, if it's a doe, I won't charge anything extra. If it's a buck, um, I'll charge you know an additional $60 recovery fee. I don't want to charge an additional for doe because I don't want people to, to to dismiss does as not being worth it. Yeah. And if they do, I, I want them to say, okay, he's gonna do it for $40, basically fuel money to get out here and uh, let's call them out. You know, I don't want them to, just, to, to give up on a doe so readily when, uh, and they put more importance on a buck. It's, you know, I don't want to harp on that subject, but it, it happens. It really does, and that's something that you'd be surprised is, like you said, when somebody shoots a doe, oh, well, you know, lost, no big deal, I'm not going to worry about calling. But if that had been a, you know, a trophy buck, they'd do everything in the world to try to find that deer. Yeah, and I was, I was pleasantly surprised or pleased that I got a lot of calls for does um, this year and um, or not a, a huge amount but I've got a, about half and half at the beginning of the season now when it got closer to the rut it was all you know all buck calls basically because that's pretty much what everyone's hunting for when it gets to the rut they didn't, they shot their doe in the early season or they'll shoot them in the late season um, so I was I was pleasantly surprised at about half the calls for the first uh, part of the season was you know part does and part bucks and youth i try to do as much as possible to help the youth because um, obviously they're the ones trying to get into the sport so it's oh really, yeah it's really hard on them if they lose a deer so you know those are the ones that's like all right you know i'll, I'll come out you know it's a little further than what i wanted to go you know but i'll go out because it's a youth to help them try to find and recover their deer exactly those are the the, the my favorite oh absolutely to recover because they get not only the reward of getting their deer, but they get the they seem to enjoy the dog working as much as anybody. Oh yeah, the entire experience it just adds another uh, element to their their hunt, and uh, I think they they probably enjoy that as much as the hunt. Yeah. One thing I've been really curious about. Well, where did Garrett go? Did he? Oh, there he is. I've been <laughs> just yeah, sitting back here listening. I've been really curious to uh, to know. <laughs> You know, after following all these tracks, is there certain trends or certain things that the deer are consistently doing that you're seeing that maybe 
either agrees with conventional wisdom or disagrees with conventional wisdom. Uh, obviously, a lot of people say, you know, gutshot deer will go to water or uh, pit deer won't run uphill, you know, all these kind of uh, wives' tales. How many of them are actually true and what have you kind of seen? Well, I, based on my small sampling, I guess that's what it would be, a small sampling, um, you know, 19 recoveries, because I can't, I can only do the, the unrecovered deer up until we found, you know, last blood, you know, even Callie takes me a couple hundred yards and we find more blood, so then I kind of know the route of the deer. Um, it doesn't go along with what a lot of people say. Even other veteran trackers, they tell me, yeah, the uh, deer will hook around, check its back trail to go to water and do all this stuff. And, I, and from what I've seen, it's not like that. Now, I recorded all my tracks last year and I have them documented and, and I recorded what, um, you know, the weapon, uh, if it's a bow, the broadhead, the, the height in the tree you were, the distance to the deer, all that stuff I documented. And you'll see all that with uh, the Cali Chronicles this fall. I'll have all that and you can make your own decision on what you know uh, uh, from the information I give you but with the small sampling I had what I noticed a trend was the deer just run away from you when you shoot them they try to get as far away from you as possible and they basically go in a straight line um, that initial um, burst after the shot they may circle a little bit and that's just to get going or get turned back where they want to go. But once they get up the speed and start hauling from you, you know, 40, 50 yards away, they basically hit a deer trail and just keep running until they die. There's no um, indication they're heading for water. The only thing I've seen is they're heading for a safe place if they can make it there and sometimes they don't make it. Some of those safe places are near water and I think that's because that's where usually where the thickest cover is and I don't think they're going there to, because they want to drink. I think they're just, they're heading for safety. And if you, if you take all my tracks and lay them out, you could basically, from the point where the deer was shot and draw a straight line to the point where the deer was found, if you, if you that deer is basically in a straight line, you know, 50 yards plus or minus to the left or right of that straight line. Um, I'm trying to word this where it makes sense. Basically, once the deer gets going and it starts running, if you saw it running straight away from you, if you just ran, uh, walked uh, and did a cone-shaped grid search out to five or 600 yards, you'd probably bump into that deer. It didn't make a big loop and go back behind you somewhere. They, they just run away from danger is basically what they're doing. Now, like I said, that's just a small sample. We'll see more this, this fall and see if that trend continues. Yeah, I've never seen anything that says, you know, they always run towards water, they won't run uphill. Like you said, the first probably 50 yards, yeah, they may button hook around and head a different direction, but once they get outside that 50 yards, they're typically going to run about as straight as they can to wherever they have in mind, whether that's a bedding area, a thick area, wherever that might be, they're trying to get to that particular spot. So it really, yeah. I mean, I've seen deer run straight uphill, straight downhill, side hill, past water. I mean, I've just, I've there's nothing that I've seen in the tracks that I've done that says yeah, they, they, there's a rule They basically do just like if you jump a, a deer out of its bed and you wa you can watch it run across a marsh or across a big field or something, they're basically running straight away from you. That's the same thing a deer that's shot. It just, it's like you jumped it out of its bed. It's running, trying to get as far away from you as quickly as possible. 
and <laughs> so that's that's why they tend to go in a straight line i think i don't think they're they're sitting there reasoning okay it's following me i need to try to lose it let's run into this creek and walk run up the creek 60 yards and then go back this way they're just trying to get away from me just like any wild animal is when they have danger they they run away or or flee as fast as far away as and a straight line puts as much distance as quickly as possible and i guess for all we know when they do deviate on a, a trail maybe it's that they got spooked by something else while they were hightailing it out of there they run 100 yards and then all of a yep. sudden they hear another deer but they aren't sure what it is is you know they take a 30 degree turn and or or they got to you know or they got to a point where they calm down and maybe they don't realize they're mortally wounded and now they're just they're changing trails to try to get to a certain location somewhere they feel safe you know they know some bedding covers you know this way to the left a little bit but as far as a deer running i think they basically just run straight you know and that's not always the case terrain can alter that if they're running towards a highway and then all of a sudden they hook left um to get away from you know traffic or whatever i think barrier there are barriers i think the reason a lot of people find deer in water near water you know the the deer is fleeing from you and if you if you walk through the woods no matter where you're at in the country if you walk a straight line eventually you come to a creek or a marsh or something there's water i think the deer gets that water and either they they can't get up the bank on the other side or or it's just a uh, maybe they run into a, a swamp and they stop at the edge of the swamp and bed down so it looks like they went to water no that that's just an obstruction and that's why you find them there that's just kind of my thought on it anyway yeah it makes sense and i guess anecdotally from just me trying to think over a lot of the trails that i've been on it seems like you know, oftentimes a lot of them do just tend to go straight. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, one thing I wanted to touch on was we talked about um, tracking on a lead versus off lead. Some states, you're not required to have your dog on a lead or a leash. Um, you can let it track on its own. Like with my experience mm -hmm. in Virginia, it's really weird. The dog had to be on a leash if it was tracking a deer but it was legal to run deer with dogs in Virginia. So technically <laughs> you could track a deer up to somebody's property line and then you had to stop. But if I took that dog off the leash and it was running that deer, I could follow that deer or follow that dog across somebody's property. Um, so there's yeah, some, that's, that's a great area. There. Yeah. There's some real you gray areas um, and sketchy things. And for me, because I have such a small dog, um, no matter what state I'll go in, I will run my dog on a lead or a leash all the time because I know of multiple occasions where me and Grizz have come up on a deer that had coyotes or foxes on it. And obviously I've yeah. got a 12-pound dachshund. So if a 12-pound dachshund comes tromping up to you know three coyotes on a deer, he's probably not going to survive that one. Um, so yeah. I always keep him and on that a lead. And that, that brings up an interesting point also um, as far as coyotes and, and other uh, predators out there in the woods. Um, really affects your, uh, you got to weigh that in when you, your decision making and when you continue a track. You know, a guy shoots a deer and he says it's a little far back. Uh, you see some of the blood you think it might be liver. Uh, may have clipped a lung. And you got to weigh all that 
all those factors in when you say, okay, we need to leave it for at least another six or eight hours for it to, to expire. But the deer may already be expired. And so at the same time, you, you, if you're in an area with a lot of coyotes, coyotes, um, you, you got that weighing in the back of your mind. You don't want to find the deer. Like I found one this past year, a nice buck, and he was nothing but skeleton, basically rib cage. You know, the head and neck was still there when we recovered the steer the next morning. And uh, there was nothing you could do. The guy knew it was a gut shot deer. Um, he did the smart thing, got out of a stand. He watched the deer go, go into the woods on the other side of the field. It stopped on the edge of the field right before it went in the woods. I said, well, you did the smart thing. That deer is probably inside that wood line, you know, 50, 60 yards or so. And uh, sure enough, we got there the next morning and there were crows. You could see a mob of crows in the trees over there. And I'm like, well, I bet there's your deer. And so I put Callie on the track anyway and she followed it, went to the woods, went into the woods 50 or 60 yards and there was the buck. But the coyotes had found it also and there was nothing, no meat left. And uh, he was pretty bummed about that. You know, he got his bug, but you know, you always want to <laughs> you know, get the, the meat to go with it. And so you know, that, that kind of weighs uh, in your decision making. It's tough sometimes to, to wait until the next day, especially if you got a, a dog, a deer tracking dog. But you got to play it safe also, because if you jump that deer, you may send it to a neighbor and they won't let you bring a dog in there to track it. They won't give you permission. And that's something you need to talk to your tracker about when you make the shot. You know, when you call them to say, hey, you know, I might need a dog, you know, let them know if there's, if you think there's a lot of coyotes in the area, if there's that risk of, you know, a deer getting ate up by coyotes. And then you guys can kind of bounce that idea around to figure out, is it worth trying to go in tonight or later tonight versus wait till the next day? Yeah, and uh, and I've done that too. I've I've uh, had a track um, in Wisconsin, um, a couple hours from the house here. Um, I had another call while I was on that track, and the guy said it was probably a little far back. And I said we should track it tonight. And he mentioned about the coyotes, and so I said we need to probably track him tonight. But I need to give him some time and. And I, like I said, I'm still learning about all this stuff. And some of the veteran trackers told me, you, well, you need at least six hours for a, for a liver shot. You need to, at least six. Sometimes it takes them more. Um, so I put it right at that fringe. I said, let's give it six hours. What time did you shoot it? All right, we'll track it at you know, 11 o'clock tonight or whatever it was or you know, 10 o'clock tonight. And um, when I get done with this other track. And I got there and, and uh, because they didn't track the deer, they, they knew it was a bad shot. Um, Cal, I put Cal in the track and she started tracking and she straight away went and lifted her head up in the air and started weaving back and forth in a cone formation. She could, the, you could see the thermals, a little bit of fog in the, in the headlights or flashlights uh, just drifting through the woods towards us. And she could smell that deer and we got up to that deer. The deer wasn't totally expired, but it was, it was basically, not but a few minutes away from it and that that you know just shows if we'd gotten there an hour earlier it may stay still had enough wits about it to get up and run off but this this deer was basically taking its last breath when we arrived and but on this on the flip side you can get there and the deer jump the deer and it runs off and and so you always have to play that that battle in your mind of when do we track based on the, the injury and, and the number of predators in the woods. So if you have a, um, a 
situation where you jump a deer uh, and say it is, you know, a gut shot, you know, it's going to be a lethal hit. If you're already on the track with the dog, do you just at that point continue following it because you know that eventually you're going to run that deer out if you got enough land to work with? Or are you going to back out again and, and take the dog back on the track a couple hours later? It, it, it depends. Um, and I ran into that situation this past fall where we had a huge amount of public land. I mean, it, you were, had miles to go and we were tracking a deer and the, and the fellow shot it with a, a rifle and he explained how he shot the deer, the, where the position of the deer it was quartering away and, and he shot it. And um, we started tracking this deer and Callie would get to the certain spot and she would just start barking and pulling me really hard, even with that prong collar on. I said, uh, she's on a fresh, on a fresh scent, a hot scent. And initially I thought she was on the wrong deer. So I stopped her and restarted her. And when she got to that same point in the woods, she started barking and pulling again. So I, I stopped her and brought her back and I looked at the spot on the ground and, and the, the hunter was with me. I said, does that look like a depression in the leaves to you? And he's like, yeah. I said, see if you can see some blood there. And he got down and looked and said, yeah, there's blood. I said, I think we just jumped this deer. That's why all of a sudden she gets to that point. She starts barking and pulling because there's fresh scent there. The deer just jumped up as we approach. And um, I said, we'll track it a little bit farther and just see where it's headed and see if I can pick up any more blood and then we may have to call this track for the night. Well, we went another 100 yards and I came around the corner and I could see deer eyes in my flashlight, my headlamp. And I tried to stop Callie and she started barking and the buck turned, you know, hopped, got up and, and, and departed. But it struggled to get up and leave. And I called the hunter up to me and uh, I got to thinking, I said, you know what, you might have only got one lung. And from what I'm told is, is a deer with a one lung hit can, you know, can get away from you. If you don't, you know, sometimes the best option is to, to, if you have enough property to keep tracking this deer and keep running, just keep chasing the deer and it'll, it won't make it on one lung. It'll expire quicker. And so we had enough property and, and he gave me the go ahead to keep tracking. And so I said, let's go Callie. And I was running behind her and we didn't go another hundred yards and we come around the corner and there was the buck again and he couldn't get up he was he was too exhausted and um and basically you know the, the hunter came up there and the deer expired a little while later i didn't stick around for it that's what he told me but in that situation you know the best option was to keep tracking that deer thinking it was a one lung hit and i don't know what it ended up being he never told me what it was you know, I, I got the deer for the guy. <laughs> I did my part and, and I left. So, um, but then there, you know, situations that, that you got to decide, you know, you know, I don't, maybe I don't have enough property. There was the, the gut shot deer, for instance, the second track for Cali. The hunter wanted to keep tracking it. I said, no, we cannot keep tracking. Oh, that deer should be dead in a half hour. Let's just wait a half hour. I was like, no, it is a gut shot deer. I can see the stomach contents on the ground and you know, that green stuff and I said we are not going to continue tracking I said I'll come back out here in the morning and track it for you I don't want to keep pushing this deer number one because we're not far from um, some private land and and the private land that that we were near I don't think those folks liked hunters too much just by the signs they had around the property and I said if it goes on that property I, I doubt they're going to give us permission to track it you know in Wisconsin you have to have permission to track a 
an animal. You know, in most states you can uh, continue tracking to recover game, down game or whatever. Wisconsin, you had to have permission, period, to go onto someone else's property. Um, I came back in the next morning and that deer didn't run 80 yards and, and bedded down. And it may have died that night, you know, not long after we jumped it. But you, you gotta play it safe sometimes. You, you gotta weigh all the factors. And it's, sometimes it's a hard decision to make, especially if a hunter thinks that, you know, the coyotes are gonna get it or, you know, whatever's gonna happen. There's a few things in there that you touched on that I kinda wanna go over a little bit. Um, one of them was, um, you know, the dog barking. You know, for me, that's, I don't like my dog, I don't like my dog to bark for that reason is that if we do get close to that deer and the deer is still alive, I don't want that deer trust, to be startled. Trust me, I wish she didn't. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard. Some dogs just get overly excited. Um, but luckily with my dog, he doesn't bark. Um, so when you get in close, you know, because the dog's on a lead, you know, you can keep him close. Sometimes you can get into 20 or 30 yards of that deer and it still be alive. And then this brings up a second thing is when you reach out to your trackers, um, some trackers don't like to have the hunters really close to them when they're going through there. And some trackers will actually prefer to put down the deer if they encounter it still alive themselves um, versus having hunters yeah. right there. So when you call your tracker, you know, ask him about that situation, how he would handle it, what's his preferred method. Um, you know, for me, I just typically don't like people like within 10 or 15 yards of me. They can be there behind me the whole way but as long as i'm tracking i don't want like when i'm breathing down my neck being right behind me in case the dog loses the trail and needs to circle back you know as for putting down the deer if they want me to put down the deer if i come across it that's fine if they want to put it down i'm fine with that too um, but most of your trackers yeah, will have a good relationship with the law enforcement officer in their area and they will have an understanding with them on whether they can put it down they can put it down at night with a a rifle or whatever um, so they should know yeah. that yeah some states allow the tracker to to, to carry a weapon to di dispatch the the deer Wisconsin does not and so you know when I come up I don't like to see an animal suffer and I can't carry anything to dispatch a deer so when I come up on a deer that's not like the buck it can't get up you know I'd, I'd I found the deer for the people and you know I leave and what you do is on your own I don't want I, I hopefully they dispatch to the animal you know with a knife or whatever they got to do um, you know I, I don't want to be there to see them break the law but at the same time I don't want a deer to suffer either so I just uh, kind of do my thing and, and find the deer and leave um, one of the uh, the other things you were, were talking about the 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 hunter following you when i first started tracking the first few tracks last year I, yeah i had the hunter with me and i was uh having them try to look for blood because i'm like you i don't see blood very well um i struggle with i have to have a really bright light and then you know it has to be a lot of blood if it's specs i'm i'm lost i'm i'm on my hands and knees for hours and so initially i had the hunter following me but it, it like you said it, it would get they would get in the way a lot of times the dog would you know go forward and then it would come back to try and reacquire the track and they're in the way and so then I started having them hang back about I said stay back about 30 or 40 yards and just you know look for blood um, you know I've got my GPS running I know where everyone every, everyone's at I'm dropping little flags on my application as I go if I find blood or where you're at and then I came up with uh, uh, an obvious 
smart idea was I carry a two-way radios with me. I give the, the hunter a walkie-talkie and I say, you just stand right here. If I need you to come forward, I'll stop and I'll radio, radio up to you to come up. And so that's what I do now. I don't even track with the hunter with me. I get to the last blood, they stand there, or we go to first blood. When we get to last blood, that's where the hunter stops uh, with the walkie-talkie and then I uh, advance forward. And when I find the deer, I radio up for him to come join me. I use the, the glow sticks, the kind of pop chemical glow sticks that, like military and them use. Um, I know we mentioned earlier yeah. marking your where the shot was and then marking the trail. I use those. I'll use, you know, like a red or a blue at the, the point of shot, and then I'll use a yellow or a green as I go through the woods where I've seen blood. So like you said, you can turn around and look, and you can see these things glowing in the woods at night to kind of get a general idea of the direction the deer was traveling in case the dog loses and the trail. And that's one of the things... Yeah, that's one of the things I'm going to include in my uh, my pack with me when I go on tracks this year. Last year, I was just um, just dropping a pin on my app as I went, and then I would come back to last blood, and then you still got to find last blood again. So now I'm going to get those, uh, the plan is to have those, you know, those little glow sticks are about three inches long, um, the little thin ones, they're, um, I don't know. Made to go on like the end of a fishing uh, rod at night. Oh yeah, those, yeah. exactly. Um, and then just have them in my pocket and I can just pull one out and, and, and snap it and just drop it as I go. And then you have an easy reference point, especially the hunters with you, he'll be able to see it because you know, he can't see the, your app that you're carrying with you. Yeah, um, I like to hang mine just because if you drop them, sometimes it may be behind brush or a log and you look back and can't see the one where you were just yep. at. So if you can clip them on a tree limb, on grass, that gives you a good visual reference where you can look back and see the kind of trail that that deer took. Um, it's really helpful Dude, if you lose it. That brings the, that brings up an interesting point because um, I'm always concerned that if I stop Callie, that she's gonna think I'm stopping her because she's on the wrong, wrong track. So I hate to stop her at, at any time. If she's on the track and I know she's on it, I try to keep her going and that's why I would um, want to snap those and stuff. Do you ever worry about that if you had to stop your dog and hang something or, or evaluate uh, what you see, the sign you see on the ground? Um, that she's or he's not going to pick up the when I started you on the track yeah I was really concerned about that because he was on a roll he was going I didn't want to you know bust up his thing but there was a couple tracks that I purposely stopped him whether to water him to get him something um, and then let him resume the track and it I can't say that it messed with his mindset any um, you know he went right back from you know panting heavy got him a bowl of water let him drink and then he was right back on the trail um, so I don't think it affects my dog. It may affect some dogs, um, but I think if it's a trail that you really feel like you're gonna find this deer on, um, you know, hold the dog up for a minute, let see if it affects your dog. Yeah, and I'm probably worrying too much about that because there there have been times last uh, I, that I I didn't want to stop her because she was on a roll. She was obviously on the on the trail of this deer that the hunter shot. But there were a few tracks that I had to stop her in order to wait for the hunter to join me because uh, maybe we saw found a wound bed and I wanted him to wait there or whatever the reason was. There was an obvious reason I had to stop. And she would get right back and I'd say, all right, find it. You know, and she'd go right back to doing her thing. And, and I, was, I was probably just worrying too much that they know what they're doing, that, that they realize we, we you know, have to stop sometimes for whatever reason. Yeah, you and may have they to. they just keep on getting it. You may have to change batteries in your GPS or in your flashlight 
you know, so it's going to be a 30 to 45 second pause, get batteries changed, yep. get back in the, and that's the most, get it to hunt. Yeah, that's the most common thing for me is to change uh, headlamps because I, I usually use um, rechargeable ones and I keep one couple charging in my truck um, because I may get multiple calls in a night. And then I have a couple with me while I'm tracking. I may be out on track for three hours out in the woods and you get about an hour, hour and a half maybe on some of those lights and you have to stop to change out lights. Or in my case, one time a, a limb ripped it right off my head. <laughs> I had to stop to go back and get it. I was going to ask what, what he used for protection um, as far as equipment for when he's, when you're tracking. For the dog? Um, like, or no, for, for the person, for the tracker. Like last year I had so many limbs scrape rake right across my eyeball. And so this year I bought a helmet with a little a shield. I bought some goggles last year, but they kept, they caused more problem than they did anything. So this year I bought like a little tactical helmet, mainly to film my tracks with a GoPro mount on it. It has a little night vision scope mount that I can mount a GoPro to, but it has a little visor that pulls down to protect my eyes. And and what equipment do you use out there as far as protect you from like briars and stuff? You know? So I don't run a headlamp, I run a handheld light for almost everything. Um, just because I, okay. I hate headlamps all around. But pretty much when I go on a track, I go rubber boots and then brush traps, um, briar pants, because I don't know what I want to get into once I get there. But as for like a face mask or anything, I typically don't run a face mask because if I encounter something like that, I can drop the lead and go around and pick up the dog on the other side of it. Um, so I don't necessarily have to oh, bust yeah. through a whole lot of stuff, um, you know, especially if I can see through it. Obviously, if it's a huge briar patch, I just try to bust behind him um, and, you know, kind of let him keep doing his thing and just try to keep up with him. Yeah, and that's I, part of my issue is, you know, Callie's a bigger dog and I can't run one of those 30, 40 foot leads. Uh, she burns it right through my hands. Right. So I have one of those little retractable leashes that have a good handle on it and I can manage with that. The problem with that is I have to follow her everywhere she goes. Every single place she goes. She goes to a pile of buckthorn or, or that prickly pear stuff that grows up here everywhere that has ridiculous thorns in them. And I come out and I look like somebody took razor blades to the tops of my arms where I just went through this stuff. And man, it's, I wish I could run one of those long, leash, uh, long leads, but she'd just spool it right through my hand. She'd burn it right through my hands and then she'd be gone. See, that's, that's what I really like about the smaller dog is he, I think his leads yep. either, I have a 30 and a 50 foot lead, but it's a very small diameter, tight weaved um, rope. It's like, it's a really, really small diameter so it doesn't get mm -hmm. snagged on briars and stuff so that way when i drop it yep. it just follows behind him and then like i said i can pick it up on the other side of a log and i don't really hold him i just have the lead running through my hand loosely so it's just dragging between yep. me and him and after me basically um and that way and that's i guess one of the pros of a smaller dog and the track's a little slower because, just um, because the dog is moving slower so you're not having to hold the dog yep. back or run to keep up with it yeah, when, when Callie was a pup, I had one of those small diameter leads, and you'll see it in some of the videos on my YouTube channel or my Facebook page where she was a pup, and, and it was, you know, it was no problem to let that slide through my hand. And when she got bigger, though, she, like I said, you're talking about some rope burn. She'd just rip it through my hands. I'm like, and I was trying to wear gloves, and it just wasn't working. 
and I would you know wrap it around my hand and then she just cinch it so tight it would cut off the circulation I was like this is not working and that's basically why I had to go to the prong collar I think I can get away with a um, if I had like a, a shock collar uh, on her not to shock her but she realizes what it is I've uh, I don't have a good one right now, but I borrowed one from a friend and his, just the tone, when I would beat that tone and just having that collar around her, she knew what it was and she didn't, you know, she, did, she didn't disobey. Whenever she had that collar, I didn't have to shock her. I didn't have to use the tone or anything. If I'd said, all right, hold up, you know, come back here, you know, heal or whatever, she would listen. And I think I probably need to go that route and I could get rid of that prong collar. And, uh, and the other type of leash that I'm using. but Yeah, a lot of the collars now yeah, that's a little... have a vibration mode. So you can, mm -hmm. like if you press the button down halfway, it will vibrate the collar. And then if you press it all the way, yep. it will give a shock. So it gives that warning before the shock. And eventually most yep. dogs will acknowledge that vibration. So they'll slow down or stop at the vibration before you hit them with the shock. Yep. Does it now? Does uh, you said you had a Datsun? Yep. Is that what kind of dog you said you had? Yep. Now does it uh, when it finds a deer, does it rip out the the hide and and pull it away and try to get to the meat yep. and start eating the deer? Yep. That's kind of his reward. Is yeah, have, you know when we get to the deer, typically I'll try to cut some piece of meat or some piece of hide off the deer to feed him as his reward for it, um, for finding it. You and know. That's that's what. That's what Callie's reward is also. I used, I'd give her the deer leg or whatever when we do the training mission. Then when she started finding the real deer, I would cut off the, like a back leg um, because it has a lot of meat, um, if you can get enough of the leg, um, or a front leg up real high, depending on if they're going to get the deer mounted or not. And um, a lot of the hunters don't realize, a lot of them don't mind. Most of them said, you mind if she chews on the hindquarters? She's going to chew like and get through the hide and eat like a, a couple bites of meat. And oh, no, no, no. I, I appreciate her finding it. She, get, she can do whatever she wants. And that's kind of a reward. And I, I cut the deer leg off and give it to her. And she does not want anything to do with that deer leg. She wants that entire deer. If you start dragging <laughs> it, she starts barking and growling. She wants, she wants that deer. Um, but I do keep uh, when the hunter lets me, uh, allows me, I keep one of the deer legs or all four. If they allow, allow me to keep all four, I'll put the other ones in the freezer and she gets to chew on one on the way home. You know, especially if we're a couple of hours from home, she, she, she chews that deer leg in one day. It goes from a full deer leg with hide and everything. The next morning, it's nothing but shattered bones. She eats the hooves, the, the hide, the meat. You know, tendons, everything. It is a clean bone. She breaks them open and eats the bone marrow out of it. It's crazy that this dog uh, hasn't killed itself eating all these <laughs> shards of bones and stuff. <laughs> He'll go after the entry or the exit wound, depending on where it's at, to start. Like once he finds the deer, that's what he'll want to go for. And then when they gut it, I'll typically cut off a piece of the liver. Um, and I'll give him a piece of the liver. That's kind of his reward. Yeah. Uh, or meat, scrap meat I off the ribs too. or something like that. But I typically don't let him have the bones or the hide for the most part just a little bit of a little bit of meat and a little bit of the the liver yeah that, that worries me a little bit sometimes that when i see these shards of bones after she gets done i'm always worried that you know it's going to poke a hole in her intestines or something but um i don't i'm not actually positive that she's actually eating the bones i think she may be just breaking them open to get the marrow out right. of these bones i'm telling you are, are clean when she's done with it there's you can see that hollow chamber in the middle where she's licked it clean. 
Um, but I do um, try to get the liver and the heart. It's very rich, I think, and I try to just give her a little bit and then I freeze the rest and, and give it to her for treats, especially on training missions. Yeah, um, he likes it when you're- I've given her a lot. He likes it when he recovers one of my deer because when we when I butcher the deer up, he gets all the scraps off that deer. Um, so yeah, as you're cutting yeah. off the sinew and everything, just flip them onto the floor, and he just he will literally gorge himself on deer meat. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to limit Callie because she'll she'll puke it back up in the night if if I'm not careful. She gets too much of it. She loves turkey too. This spring, every time I'd bring a turkey home and start cleaning in the yard, she sits there and patiently and waits and and drools and and as i'm processing a turkey i get a little bit of you know scrap meat and i'll toss it to her and her she'll gobble it down so she she loves that sort of stuff probably just like your dog does loves watching me butcher a deer and give her scraps would you take her on a bear track if somebody called you up and said they hit a bear i'd probably try it if it was you know close enough um my thing is is early on whenever I'd get a call for any track, I was you know, gonna take it. One of the first tracks I had was a, um, a couple had lost their dog. It was a little teeny, uh, small ankle biter. <laughs> and it was, it was in a kind of a suburb and, and it was late in the yard and they heard a yip or something. They went out there and, and, uh, and it was gone. But then they saw, saw a coyote run through the backyard. And so they assumed that a coyote had it. And I said, well, I'll try and track it for you. I said, but I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't have high hopes of finding it. I said, number one, the, the thing's probably gonna be eaten by the time you find it anyway, you might find some fur. Uh, number two, the coyote with a small dog like that, it's gonna carry it in its mouth. And so the dog is not leaving a scent trail on its own. You know, it may be dropping some scent, I don't know, but it's in the mouth of a coyote. Uh, the other problem was we had, you know, in a suburb, you got so many different properties. But you know, they assured me they had already called all their neighbors and they didn't mind. And so we went through the neighborhood and she she seemed to be tracking okay, but it, it just became a big, you know, I don't know, it was just a big hassle. And so right then after that, I said, I'm not tracking any more pets. And I've gotten <laughs> calls for all kinds of, can you find my cat? Can you find my horse? And so I, I got to the point where all I will track is deer. Um, I'm not opposed to to tracking a bear or somebody kills one. She'll track turkeys. I've already tested her with you know a turkey wing, and you know I know she'll basically track anything I put her on. Problem with turkeys, which is it is legal to track turkeys in Wisconsin. You can't hunt turkeys in the spring with a dog in Wisconsin. You can hunt them in the fall with a dog, but they just recently legalized it where you can track turkeys. So you know a bow hunter a lot of times they shoot a turkey and it runs off into the yeah, brush and they have trouble finding it. Um, I w yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a problem doing that, except for, you know, what I do for, <laughs> I produce my turkey hunting show, and so I'm, I'm turkey hunting in the spring. I ain't got time to be tracking someone's turkey. If it's, if it, just by pure coincidence or luck, um, you know, it's one evening after I get off work during turkey season and, and they shot a turkey, I'd come track it, but, but anyway, to get back to the, the point, uh, I basically, I want to stick her with just um, deer. She chases squirrels and rabbits in the yard and, and I, I wish she wouldn't do that, but because um, uh, I want to kind of keep her focused on deer, but I'm not opposed to tracking a bear if it, that comes up. But as far as 
other animals, horses and pets and stuff. <laughs> uh, that's not going to happen anymore. I've put mine on a few pig tracks, um, you know, feral pigs basically, where we're trying to recover them for disease sampling and things like that. And the disease part was the biggest part that worried me because of all the pathogens that they can carry, the zoonotic diseases um, that can be in their blood yep. that can get passed to the dog, you know, even from urine and things like that. So that was my biggest concern with putting him on pig tracks was just a disease issue that he might catch from tracking it. Yeah. Um, we don't have that problem up here. There's no, there's no feral pigs in in Wisconsin or whatever in Minnesota that I know of. If they are, no one say anything about it. Do you know if uh, there's any headway on making uh, blood trailing legal in Minnesota? Um, there is um, a lot of support. Uh, the problem is, uh, you know, it had been nice to get it legalized for this fall. And and I've been working on that, and I've got you know some fellow members in the UBT um, that are going to. Our our biggest biggest uh, influence here in Minnesota is the uh, what is it uh, Deer Hunters Association of Minnesota Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. They have a lobbyist, and they have a lot of pool on here. They're, and they have a lot of members, and they have a, uh, they're the reason for like scopes on muzzleloader or whatever just became legal uh, recently. They they kind of focus on one thing, and so those were the first folks that i went to but there's a long process you got to go to a chapter and they got to have a resolution they got to vote on it they can take it to the state um, board or whatever and they vote on it and that's one of the, the the things they work on the other option was to to contact a uh, state senator or representative and have them just introduce a bill and we've done a lot of polls myself and, and other folks asking you know hunters what they thought about legalizing it and you got an overwhelming support for it here in Minnesota. People just can't believe that we can't do it. And um, it's headed down that way. I think by next fall, it will be legal in Minnesota uh, at the rate it's going and the support it has from the Minnesota Deer Hunter Association uh, supports it. They're working on, um, I've actually had a, a, a little meeting with one of the, uh, one of the guys, chapter presidents. Um, there's some other folks involved I won't get into all the details because there's a lot of people working on it at the point. Um, but it's headed down the right road, and I believe, honestly believe, that by next fall, 2019, it'll, it'll be legal in Minnesota. That's good great. to hear. Yeah, that's one thing is if you're in a state that doesn't allow tracking dogs, um, you know, push for it. It's a great thing, even if they have to be on lead um, at all times, you know, push for it because it's something that you're uh, probably eventually going to need as a deer hunter everybody's going to need one eventually and if you're in one of those states where you yep. don't have the ability to get one of those it's the options not even on the table for you so you'd hate to lose a deer of a lifetime because something as simple as tracking dogs aren't allowed in your state yeah and it's 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 a gray area in minnesota there's nothing in the regs that specifically say you cannot track a deer with a dog it says you may not take big game with a horse or a dog, but you know, you're not, technically I'm not trying to take a deer. I may walk my dog, it's on a leash and lead you to a deer and then walk away. I didn't take anything, you know? But 
you know, I've contacted the DNR and, and, and their attorneys, you know, it took them a few days and finally got back to me and said their attorney says, you know, basically by the definition of take, you know, includes pursue, assisting someone pursue, it is illegal. The DNR actually told me they support tracking dogs, but, you know, they can't make it legal. It, it has to go to the, through the state uh, legislature. And it, legislation. It's a tough spot for sportsmen because it's our duty and responsibility to do everything we can to recover the animal in which we shot. You know, so here you have this option yep. that can't be utilized in your state, but it's your duty and responsibility to try everything that you can to recover that animal. Mm-hmm. I've been on quite a few uh, extremely gray area recoveries just because of moral obligations. Yep, you don't have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I think most trackers would say that. That yeah, it's like yeah, I've been in some gray areas. Yeah, I'd rather see some the meat recovered and and not spoil out in the woods. Absolutely. Um, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna stick to Wisconsin, um, and then it won't be long. Minnesota will have it legal, and, and then I can. You know, I'm right here near the Wisconsin border. I live in Minnesota but i'm only 10 minutes away and so there's plenty plenty of tracking jobs there it's it's real painful when you have folks in minnesota not far from me and they they need a tracking dog and legally you can't do anything to help them and it's sad uh that you know <laughs> you have a tool that can easily help you you know in the right circumstance circumstances but you can't utilize it, and it's not hurting anything. Uh, you know, the small percentage of people that are opposed to tracking dogs really don't have a good excuse why they oppose it. You know, they one of the biggest reasons why they oppose it is uh, because it'll open the gate for abuse. Well, that's that's a really a lame excuse in my opinion. Everything is open to abuse. It's illegal now. Yeah, I can still abuse it and go out there and do it. Yeah, there's people with. Uh, pheasant dogs out there you know they can go out there and track a deer and say they're pheasant hunting. I mean it's not gonna change anything and the fact that it has to be on a leash there's no way I'm gonna that I'm gonna be able to to hunt deer that's what they're worried about people hunting deer with dogs yep. and there's no way you can hunt a deer with a leash dog I'm gonna tell you that now a, a deer is gonna run <laughs> forever and I'm not gonna follow it with a dog yeah you got a 30-foot lead I'm sit in the deer stand and get <laughs> 30-foot lead and you're trying to hunt deer with a dog that doesn't work too well yeah well, no no <laughs> I'm gonna sit in a tree stand and wait for the deer to come by plus I'm sure it's not like you're getting phone calls from guys that are saying well you know I had a shot that I probably wouldn't have taken otherwise but I knew that I had you on speed dial so I figured I'd fling an arrow at it you know, it's like guys are guys are no, calling you after the think, fact that they've already chosen to make the shot regardless, and yeah, it is what it is. I don't, I don't think people don't people don't do that. You know, I mean, you know, both of you are deer hunters, and and you know as well as I do, when a deer comes in front of you, walks by, that you're going to shoot. The last thing you're thinking about is uh, struggling to recover. You think, okay, oh, I need to aim right there. You know, blah blah blah. You're not thinking after the right. fact. So I don't think that even crosses someone's minds like oh I, I can slide one in there maybe i can just hit a ham or something then i can get the dog on nope i don't think people actually think no that. there's there's nobody out there who's as they're drawing back their bow thinking yep about to have to call the tracking dog because <laughs> yeah. i've seen <laughs> that, that on, on some of the forums people use that as an excuse to as to why it should not be legal yeah. but 
doesn't make any sense to yeah. me. Nope. I mean, I, I have a tracking dog, and I can guarantee you, I was, when I hunted this past fall, the few times I got to hunt, and I had some deer around I me. Mean, I, had, I had a doe come in, I grunted her up, and she came running. She had a yearling with her, and she came running up, and a limb was blocking my view, and she ended up right below me in the tree, and I had too many limbs in the way. I mean, she was dead below me, and I could have sent one through the limbs and hit her in the top of the back, and I have a dog. I could have just easily went <laughs> home and, and then got my dog and, and thought to myself, oh, I'll just sling it through here and hope for the best. That, that was the last thought in my mind was my dog. That dog didn't even enter my mind. I was thinking the whole time was, man, I hope she turns around and heads back out into the, the clearing so I can get a clear shot. And she didn't, and I didn't get to shoot at this deer. So, I mean, even with owning a tracking dog, that thought didn't even cross my mind. So then your plan for this fall, hopefully shoot a couple deer pretty early in the season and then just track in Wisconsin for the rest of the year and film everything and upload to YouTube? That is the plan. Um, I'm definitely going to put more time into trying to put some venison in my freezer because I miss it. I'm tired of eating turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't have any venison. Now, one of the guys that I tracked deer for last year, he gave me part of his deer and he's letting me hunt his land this fall and he is covered up in deer and he's actually you know he's not really enthusiastic about hunting these days he's you know he's done it for years for deer he still does it but he's like you know if you want to run cameras come and go as you please and i'm like sweet i can come down here and hopefully get a doe early maybe shoot a buck early you know if i don't get that early. I'll take time for myself throughout the season here or there and, and maybe put some deer in the freezer. But because I tracked a deer for him and found it, you know, he's opened his property up for me to, to deer hunt this year. And hopefully if I get at least one or two deer in the freezer early, then I'll really just go full bore on tracking. And, and I'm off during the week. I work weekends. That's what really hurts me because most deer are shot in the weekends and I've gone on some tracks late at night you know get home at one o'clock in the morning two o'clock on one occasion and had to get up at five o'clock to go to work um there's not a whole lot of calls during the week so that kind of hurts me in that regard but when the rut kicks in it's every day of the week three or four calls or more i know some trackers get 20 and 30 calls a day during the rut but my plan is to put some meat in the freezer and then i can just go full bore at tracking deer and hopefully doc, do a decent job of documenting it. Are you going to upload it to your personal YouTube channel, or are you going to have a YouTube channel that's, you know, got a certain... No, it'll, it'll, go, it'll go straight to my YouTube channel. Uh, the plan is, you know, if the audience knows about my Calling on Turkey show, when I'm turkey hunting, um, I, I video the hunts, and, and then I'm, you know, I'm hunting turkey hunting all day long. And then at night I have to download the footage to my computer and then try to edit in between. Uh, I think with the tracking, because tracking calls usually come in in the afternoon or evening after, after light, um, either because they shot one that evening or um, you know, they want to track the next morning. And so I'm, I'm, that allows me some time, more time than with turkey hunting to, to edit right away. So if I go on a track tonight, for instance, uh, tomorrow all day, I don't have a track to go on. So I will edit it and post it the next day, hopefully, um, this track. 
and it'll go straight on my YouTube channel. You can find me if you just go to YouTube and type in Shane Simpson or Shane Simpson turkey hunting. That mine's, my channel's up there. I have so many videos on there and views that um, my channel is one of the top ones that pop up. And um, and those videos, hopefully, if everything goes well, I'll be able to get them out on a daily basis as right after the track, the next day. Worst case, it'll be two days later. And so people will get to follow along. You'll get to see the uh, the track as we as we saw it, um, the overlay of the uh, the satellite images showing the progress of the track. You know, the, we're going to do a um, uh, what do you call it? An autopsy of the deer after we find it to show exactly what organs were impacted. Now that autopsy video, just because of the graphic nature of that, that'll be a separate video, and I'll post a link, you know, to each tracking video and the folks that want to see that graphics content because you know i'm trying to get some sponsors for it also and some sponsors may not necessarily want to see all that graphics stuff so i'll have a separate video for the autopsy because i know people just like me when i see a, a deer hunting show and they 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 have to back out and track it the next day they never show where the shot was or what it hit you know what caused it to to go so far so i want to include those things it was a one lung for instance, I mean that that deer we tracked last year went 1.3 miles. It was double lunged and liver shot, and it still went that wow. far. But part of the reason we think it went that far was it just clipped the liver, and it just clipped the second lung, the first lung that it really um, got uh, a, a good portion of, had a huge growth on a huge cyst and we theorized that that lung was not functioning anyway or functioning to a minimal degree. And because it took the brunt of the impact, it, it really didn't affect the deer. It took that part of that little clip to the liver um, to slowly kill it. And it, we think that deer lived most of the night. That's gonna be a really interesting series I mean, to follow along with. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. You know, like you said, talking about how long the track was and then you know what bones were broken what arrow setup was used or bow was used or even gun um you know and seeing you know what a deer can do after being shot it's gonna be really cool to follow yeah, it's, along with. it surprised me it surprised me a whole lot this year you know i thought when you shoot a deer they're, they're they either die or they eventually die but after seeing some of the tracks we went on and some of the stories from fellow trackers, uh, other double lung hits. Um, deer are really tough, and they get video from trail cameras or pictures of, uh, or see the deer the following year. It's it's amazing some of the stuff they can, the injuries, and I think it's just built into them. You know, bucks have antlers, and they I'm sure they gore them each other. You know, and they have to be able to survive those types of injuries. You know, they're, they're wild animals, and so they're a lot tougher than mm -hmm. we give them credit for. Yeah, I think it'll be, I think it'll be especially interesting too, just to, you know, kind of see the aerial if it's if it's a place where the guy's comfortable. You show him the aerial just to, you know, so everybody can put the whole story together, and say this is what the shot was. We can see that it ran, 400 yards in a straight line, or in this case, it went you know, 200 yards and did a U-turn for whatever reason. And then you can try and, you know, it's like you're, you know, one after the other, after the other, it's like gaining years and years of 
trailing experience, and I think even if guys don't necessarily have access to a dog, they'll be able to learn a lot about what decisions to make. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, we we may see some trends uh, during the, the production of this, and 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 then we, then again we may not. But I think the biggest takeaway is folks are going to learn just like I've learned a lot in my one year tracking, and most trackers learn. The more they track, the more they learn. They're going to learn a lot of things that they can apply to them tracking without a dog. You know how long they should wait, you know, what happens, what do they typically see from a deer that shot this way? You know, some of the signs, I'm gonna try my best uh, to, to include every little sign that I see. Okay, here we go, we, we can see a slight depression here. You can see the shape of the deer in the, in the leaves and there's a patch of blood there. That indicates to me, basically on the, based on the shape that we see in the leaves, that, that that shot's a little far back. You know, there's there's a lot of things you can learn from tracking. I'm not one of these old time, um, mountain tracker guys <laughs> mountain men um but i'm telling you, you you'll learn a lot and, I, and i'm seeing that man i'm just <laughs> i'm just impressed by a lot of things that i see that i never took into consideration as a just a your average bow hunter yeah well i'm definitely looking forward to it absolutely it's a, a great conversation i love talking about tracking and 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 it's i tell you what um tracking deer with a dog was kind of something that uh, I always wanted to do but I just didn't have the commitment and I, I'll, I'll kind of give you this little story before we we head off into the sunset of how I got into it um, I was down at a media hunt in Illinois on a turkey hunt and Illinois connection I think is the name of the uh, the, the the service we were down there turkey hunting but um, they have a guy there his name is tracker John and he tracks deer um, for a lot of the big shows and stuff. And, and he has some well-trained bloodhounds. He's even getting into um, training a crow to spot what? the deer from the sky. Training the crow to do that, that's crazy. But yeah, <laughs> and I don't know what the progress is on that, but I, that's, that's a very interesting concept. And so um, we sat down there. We were there for several days, uh, and he would tell these tracking stories. He was—he lived right next door, and man, I was so captivated by it. I was like, "Dude, you need to be filming this or have a cameraman. This is something people would love to watch." And you know, he said he'd been approached by it and stuff. And anyway, long story short, after I left there, man, I was so. God, I was so captivated by it, and I'm like, "Man, I'd love to get me a tracking dog," but. I still hadn't made the commitment. Well, you know, I lost a deer with the uh, after sh that I didn't recover, and then I then I was with a buddy hunting, and he shot a deer, and we went out there and grid searched it, and I'm like, enough's enough. A tracking dog would make this simple work. You know, this has been this was over the course of years. It wasn't like <laughs> two deer back to back, but anyway, after my buddy shot his and we failed to recover it, we did a you know, grid search. I was like, I'm getting me a tracking dog. You know, this is something I want to do. I want to finally make the commitment, and so that's that's where I got my kind of my start. But that listening to Tracker John tell his stories, um, man, it was. I'm sure it's like a lot of people when I put those pictures up, all those bucks and does I found last year with a little bit of a, a caption with it about the track, and I got a huge response from. Them. They're they're in the same boat as me. I was, they they they're you know. They're so captivated by it. Just like when he was talking about his tracking stories, I was so captivated by it. It's very interesting um, uh, little thing going on there. And so, 
Anyway, that's how I got into enough about that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I'll definitely be sure to, and when you get this stuff uploaded, I'll be sure to share a bunch out of it as well. Because I think, I think a lot of people are going to learn from it. Yep, and yeah, if, if they don't, go ahead. If you get any really, really spectacular tracks or anything you kind of want to tell the story on, let us know. We'll get you back on during season, and you can kind of tell the story of that track and what made it so special. That'd be really cool. Sure. It, yeah, it would be, especially when it's fresh in my mind. Yeah. Because <laughs> I did the, I don't know if you saw the story of the, the track I did uh, with um, Charlie Elk. Both of us, that, that was a year ago, and both of the 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 details were a little foggy to both of us and we started recalling it as we started talking telling the story so yeah if, it, if it's during the season it'll be fresh in my mind and I'll, I'll remember all the details plus I'll have hopefully video of it and and uh, like I said and, and people will be able to see that but um, I, I think this year is it's gonna be it's I'm already stressed out a little bit about it, just like with Callie her first year tracking um, I've been promising everyone a lot with trying to document this on video stuff I'm hoping I can pull it off. It worries me that that I can't, but um, I've been, every time I go out deer scouting or I do training missions with Callie, I'm wearing some of the mics and the cameras and, and I'm trying to play with the lights and to, to make this, because it, it's very difficult to, not to record it on a track. If you've got a field to go through to track a deer, that's easy. But some of the brush, you know as well as I do, some of the thick stuff that we go through um, you can't operate a camera and run a, a tracking dog at the same time so you can run GoPros that are mounted to you but limbs and vines and briars and everything just snatches everything that's hooked to you. That's where it makes it difficult. There's no running up ahead and setting up a tripod and getting this good pan footage of the dog going by. You know, your head's in, yeah. in brush, underbrush, around brush and then, you know, it's like, oh, well, where did the dog go? Oh, there he yep. is. And then, like you said, it's yep. all at night. So you got to have all the lights to be able to illuminate it enough to get good footage. Yeah, it's gonna look like uh, it's gonna look like body cams on police officers or something. <laughs> but hopefully, people get to see, you know, what I see. And and I'm 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 experimenting with different methods in order to 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 do a good job tracking. I don't want to to compromise how well we track by trying to document on video. So that's why I'm trying to use cameras mounted on me and, and whatnot. But at the same time, I want to try and do a good job and getting uh, good footage uh, that's not, you know, someone doesn't want to watch. Well, I look forward to it, that's for sure. That'll do it for this episode. Special thanks to Arrow Hunter for partnering with the podcast. You can find both of their saddles, the Kestrel and the Kite, for sale at arrowhunter.us. Be sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, give us a like on social media. Bobby and I enjoy collecting and answering your questions. We had some great feedback on the two-part Q&A podcast, so at some point, we'll likely have accumulated enough questions to do it again. Thanks for listening.